please join us for 30 seconds of contemplative silence. This very room there's quite enough love for all the world and in this very room there's quite enough joy for all the world and there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room in this very room as we sit in this peace the serenity i ask you to take a deep breath with me If you feel so called, uncross your legs, plant both feet on the ground, feel grounded, and know with me that there is one God, one divine, one creation, one sacred entity that flows through each and every one of us, through those that we see on the street, through the trees, through every single thing that surrounds us. And I know that this moment is perfect, that this moment is divine, that God is flowing through this very moment. And I know that going into our meeting today and going into the rest of our days, that we feel at peace <laughs> and that we are whole and complete. And I give thanks for the knowing that we are all love, we are all unconditional love. I give great gratitude for this center, for God, and for each and every one of you here today. I release this into the universe knowing that it's already so and that it comes back to me tenfold. And together we say, and so it, and so is. it is. Thank you, Saskia. That was Saskia Brumwell Blessing, one of our youth uh, that uh, did our opening uh, treatment. And I'm going to invite her and her compadres up to share with you a little bit of, uh, they just completed their winter camp and came back and I wanted, I asked each one if they would share uh, a little bit of their story. So ladies, are you starting out again? I guess Beautiful. so, I should have just stayed up here. Um, I'm Saskia, like he just uh, uh, mentioned. 
I'm an ambassador for the youth leadership team of Centers for Spiritual Living, and uh, we, us three teens and a whole bunch of other wonderful teens were at winter camp last weekend, um, just taking in the spiritual growth as much as we possibly could. We had our wonderful advisors, Sandra and David, are sitting here with us. And we love them, and they have done such great things for us, including facilitating last weekend. Um, so I'm just going to share a little bit about my experience. Um, I was an advisor for the first time last weekend, and I'm, I'm 18, so I've been a youth at camps for the last six years, and this year I got to be an advisor, and it was quite the experience um, seeing these teens grow uh, in the same ways that I've seen myself grow, and looking back at the years and being like, wow, I remember like that very aha that that person just had, like, oh, we've had the same aha just like six years ago, you know? Um, so it's, it's been a really touching and inspiring experience to see all these teens grow so much and be, step into their leadership and step into their power. It's incredible. Hello, my name is Michaela. Um, I just started at teen group in January. Um, so it's only been a short bit that I've been involved in it, but I feel like I've been involved in it for much, much longer because of the relationships that I've grown with everybody. Like me and every individual person, we all have a unique bond. Um, I went to, t to winter camp and I, I came to realize that this, this teen group is exactly what I needed in my life. Um, I needed to be accepted for who I was no matter who I am. I'm perfect in everybody's eyes, and they are perfect in mine. So, thank you. And I'm Jessie, and this past weekend I was elected as the new regional co-director for our region. And what a co-director is pretty much is they they're like the leaders of the camp. They get up in front of everyone and they're like, hey guys, this is what we're doing. And they make you laugh and then you do your workshop. And they also get to go and to California in October and do winter workshop planning with all the rest of the co-directors from all over North America. So that's pretty cool too. And this weekend at camp, you'll see us all wearing these snazzy white t-shirts with words on them. Um, we did a workshop where we, at the beginning of the workshop, we sit down in our families and everything, right? And they're like, okay, we have white t-shirts for you guys with duct tape across the front. Put them on. So we put on our shirts and we do some reflection stuff and they're like, okay, this workshop is about insecurities and what's holding you back. So we wrote what was holding us back, our insecurities on the front of the shirts. And we talked about it and we reflected and we went through a process and by the end of the workshop, we ripped off our insecurities to reveal our God word. And we all got different words. Every single person at the camp got different words. And my word was understanding. And for me, that was kind of just like, 
understanding that the things happen in my life happen for a reason. I can't control what other people do, but I can control how I grow from that and where I go from that. So yeah, and we would also like to thank our congregation and everyone for supporting our teen group because this teaching changes lives and this teen group has changed all of our lives in varieties of ways and we couldn't do it without each other and with you guys. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Okay, hugs before you go. Oh, thank you. We didn't do this. We're getting better at this. Every, you imagine what it would be like we did a third service today. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, always, it's always sweet to um, hear the perspective of, of uh, people within our community that lives are being touched. And... Um, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, we, we miss that. I hear the stories, but uh, don't get to share them. And in, in having the teen share today, it's quite, it's quite lovely and perfect. Uh, we, I've been using Wayne Muller's book, How Then Shall We Live? And last week was What Do You Love? And this week is How Then Shall I Live Knowing That I Shall Die? And it's interesting in this um, chapter, this section of the book, and probably throughout the whole book, what he talks about there, for the most part, is, is the about people facing challenges in their lives that are what we would call really serious. So a lot of it is around people dealing with cancer or AIDS. And, uh, and, and story after story after story. And so he uses that as the, the launching point uh, in most of his revelation and discovery in interacting with those people. And it's, and it's fascinating to, to read because one of the common themes in all of the stories is that when someone gets a diagnosis that's terminal, everything in their life changes. You know, I mean, if, if they didn't have spiritual practice, they got it now. They're praying. Uh, they're working with somebody to help them pray. They're getting this, the, the support and the love. Or I, and this is one choice, not, a, not everyone. And so there's a commitment and there's a devotion to realize, wow, I, I've got, a, I've got a, a point where this journey ends. And it looks like it's going to be pretty quick. And so I really need to sort through my life and decide what's important what's not important. And so this, how then shall I live knowing well I, that I shall die is, is quite interesting. But for most of us, that's not our experience. Most of us feel like we're going to go on forever. You know, that, man, I, you know what, I'm going I'm to live, live a certain amount of time, and I'm going to get mine, and, and, and I have full expectation, and, and, I, and I'm entitled to it. I mean, I think that, that for myself, I can identify with that, that, you know, if, I'll tell you, if I get done here and I'm gone in another hour, I'll be quite surprised. Because of that mindset, you know, I'm just, I'm just getting warmed up. But interestingly enough, and when the teens get up and talk about these things, you know, our, our tradition, our community is one of, of continuing to welcome newness and to look at the things in our lives that work, are working and, and perhaps build upon that and things that aren't working uh, to identify those things and to, to go about our work through our spiritual practice to shift and change those things. But the, the, the thing about it is, is all of us are always moving in this. That none of us are the same. I'm not the same I was when I came here 12 years ago. And, uh, but I'm almost at my 12th year. And neither are you. And so in, in when, um, Wayne Muller's book, he has some, uh, some wonderful things to talk about. He ta- tells the story of, of Paul, who's been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And Paul's journey, he said, Paul, what would you do differently if you, of anything? And he said, well, I'd like to have 10 more years. And, and, of course, um, Wayne Muller is a minister and a therapist. 
And so he's typically called into these acute uh, situations where something drastic is happening. And he's been able to share a lot of that in the book. But he, he talks about Paul and says, Paul, what would you do if you had 10 more years? And he said, I would be kind. I would live my life with kindness. I would be kind to children and I would teach them to be kind too. He said, it's all I ever really wanted to do, just be kind and to be loving. He said, a few months ago, I was still feeling strong. I thought I would treat myself, so I walked into a bakery and ordered two of my favorite cookies. I told the girl behind the counter they were my favorite. And she said she loved them too, but they were very expensive. When I left, I thought about it for a minute, went back and bought another cookie, and I gave it to her. This, is, this one is for you, I said. She was so surprised by my kindness. You are such a kind man, she said. I felt absolutely wonderful. Such a small thing, such an easy thing to do. This is how I would like to live my life if only I had more time. And so here's a man that, that realizes that what's precious to him is, is kindness. You know, we all get to decide. Last week we talked about what do I love? We all get to decide what we love. What's, what do we cherish? In Buddhism, there's a practice called Maranasati. And Maranasati is the death awareness. And, and, and it's the awareness that all of our lives will end. And, and, of course, in these acute situations, these big situations, drastic situations, it shifts and changes people. Muller says when we receive a diagnosis of terminal illness, people are suddenly shocked into mindfulness. What have I done? What is my life about? What do I love? What do I place at the center of my life? Which people shall I invite in as my companions? And which will I allow to fall away? Knowing that the brief time I have left, what will I do with my days? And so little time left, there's none to waste. Suddenly, childhood trauma seems less compelling. Money seems useful for daily needs, but greed seems silly. What can we really keep? Unproductive relationships are let go. And intricate career maneuvering seems wasteful, even comical, for those, for those close to death. It becomes instantly clear that everything they do in their remaining days is precious. Every conversation, every action, every choice is pregnant with meaning and value. And only those relationships that are fruitful and loving are kept. The rest are allowed to fall away. Every act is a sacrament, every breath a gift. Nothing is taken for granted and nothing is wasted. Death is something we expect to postpone until we have received our fair share of what life has to offer us. If we believe we will live as long as we wish, we can afford to waste time. <clears throat> we can spend precious days, months, and even years engaged in mindless activity and fruitless relationships. We can wait until we arrange our career, our friends, our possessions just the way we like. We can work for decades on our psychology, our spirituality, and our finances until we are perfectly content with our lives and then finally ready to begin our lives in earnest. We gather up the fruits of our labor and are rewarded with a happy and fulfilling life, freedom and joy for many years, the harvest of all our good work. If we buy into this illusion that we will live forever, we can waste all the time in the world before we're ready to live. But this notion of all the time in the world is a seductive lie. And so I think that, that the beauty of what, what I find in this, this work is that 
and when I listen to the teens, is that all of us have an opportunity to, to decide what's precious and valuable without having to do cancer or ha not having to do AIDS. When um, the teens get together, there's a lot of deep conversation that goes on. There's a lot of, as they say, they do a lot of deep, very, what you'd call mature spiritual work and examination and questioning. And how that arose for that group, um, I was very involved with the teens, much more so than I am now. I was uh, on the Religious Science International Board of Directors at that time, and I was, my portfolio was youth. And I asked one day, how did this all happen with the, the teen group? And they said, well, Ann Wheeler, and Ann is like the Yoda of, um, of our CSL's youth department. Is Ann still working? Is she still around? Do you see her? No? Yeah, she was, she was, she was getting up there. Uh, but anyway, what, but Ann said that when the Vietnam War was, was winding down, they found that more and more veterans were coming back with a lot of trauma. And they were coming into the centers and they would work with a practitioner and they'd do affirmative prayer and of course that's helpful. But many times the, the, the traumas were so deep that they were having trouble reincorporating themselves and back into life. And so what, what, what transpired was through the youth, they realized that if we don't do some of this deep work, if we don't, as Dr. Holmes, uh, I quote many times, look at it long enough so it no longer has power in our lives, there didn't seem to be a shift in consciousness. And so, it's, and, and so it seems counterintuitive for us because if I just affirm goodness all the time in my life, then I should have nothing but goodness. But yet, life doesn't seem to work that way because what's really the gift in the things that show up in our lives is the things for us to work with. And so, it's, so isn't it a blessing to be able to engage in this work without being sort of shocked into it and that we get an opportunity to do it gradually? I love that. You know, I, I love meditation, but I didn't always love meditation. For me now to sit in, in the quiet and, and, and just listen to what's bubbling up for me, and sometimes my meditations are really, really wobbly and bouncy and active, and it doesn't feel like meditation at all. It just feels like a parade of thoughts that keep going through my mind. And other times it's just the stillness, there's a depth to it where I just know that the God of my being and I are, are, are one. So there's no guarantee in it, but what I do know is I'm willing to do 10 of the real busy ones to get to one of the ones that's really sweet. And I know that all my prayers, you know, if I prayed and got everything that I, that I wanted in life, I wouldn't have anywhere to keep it all. I'd have to have storage lots all over the place for stuff I've been treating for. And so I don't think that's, and, and so I think that that's one, one extreme of, the, of what's possible. Wayne Muller talks in here about a young man named Tom, and Tom was diagnosed with AIDS at the beginning of the AIDS epidemic. I don't know if anybody's seen the Dallas Buyers Club, but it's really a wonderful chronicle of one man's journey and his cracking open of, of his own experience with AIDS. But it's fascinating. Uh, Matthew McConaughey won an Academy Award for it and a Golden Globe. And, uh, but it's a remarkable true story of this man's journey with his, his AIDS situation. But in this particular case, what Mueller writes about Tom, this man that was diagnosed with, with AIDS and so what Tom decided to do was he would go out and apply for credit cards. He said, you know, screw it, I'm going to get mine. And he started to travel the world and he just started to buy everything he could get his hands on and he would max out that credit card, throw it away, get another credit card, max that one out and kept going and going and going until finally Tom, his body did give out and he owed all this money. And so the, 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 the sorrow in that for me as I read the story is that Tom never slowed down long enough to realize that what had been brought into his life was an opportunity for transformation and for healing despite his body was not able to, to deal with this, this virus that had shown up in his life, but the, the, deeper, the deeper work to do. Instead, he ran as fast as he could, as far as he could, and he was just angry. And we can do that. It's a very popular activity. But what I know about 
the spiritual path is, it's always my opportunity to look and to look deeper. Mark Nepo, I read some of Mark Nepo's poetry last week. And I, wanted, I went online and I watched him being interviewed by, by Oprah. And it was quite fascinating because what he had to say fits so beautifully with what Mueller writes about here. And, and, and uh, Mark Nepo's a survivor of cancer. He's, he's lived through uh, cancer and the chemotherapy. He said that the chemotherapy in his life was a dirty angel. That's the way he, he characterized the chemo. That it, it benefited him because it, it moved, helped him move through the disease in his body. But he called it a dirty angel rather than call, call it horrific. But it showed up as, if everything is God, then this is not God as well. And sometimes it's hard to see that because we don't expect God to be painful. And yet God is in all things. God is everywhere present. And he said that, that if we're going to do this work, if we're going to really live our lives in a way that's productive and wonderful and, and valuable and, and sorrowful and painful at times and difficult and challenging, he said we need to double our efforts to welcome everything, to just say, bring it on. Welcome everything. He said his teacher, Mark Nepo said his teacher in the cancer was that he realized all things are true. All things are true. He said it doesn't mean that all things are right. It doesn't mean that all things are fair or just. Life is not fair, have you noticed? So put that fantasy down. But all things are true. And the only way that we can get to the truth of that is to open our hearts to it. And say, what's in this for me? See, Tom, when he found out he had drug, uh, uh, AIDS, he ran off and he started buying things. He started running as fast as he could to get his. To drink up as much of it as he could and it didn't matter who he hurt and, and who he lied to. But, but if we turn within, if we open our hearts, we can start to make sense of things and, and what the truth is in it for us. Because otherwise, we choose between what's right and wrong. And if our lives are about choosing what's right and wrong, and it's a very popular activity, and I've done it myself, I still do it at times, but that's not the end point to decide, okay, this is right, this person is right, and this person is wrong. And then we decide our work is done. No, what's right and wrong, we spend our, we, then we spend our energy in right and wrong sorting out our lives rather than living our lives. Because it's so easy to just adopt a position and say, well, that's wrong, and this is right. We need to have discernment. But that's not the, that's not the end point. It is to look at it and, and, and to continue to live our lives with an open heart. And to say, what's in this for me? It doesn't mean as we, as we stand in this, and say what is true, that, that there aren't things that are cruel or evil or that hurt us or are unjust in the world. Because those things are there. We're not denying those things. But to simply decide right and wrong is part of the, part of the story. It's to stand in our wholeheartedness from the perspective of the wholeness of life to see how, how spirit is navigating within our own being. See, that's what's really, really rich. How is spirit navigating within our own being? How am I in relationship with this divine presence? Doing my work, doing my work, and then being in relationship with the divine presence. If we are, and we are continually asked, Mark Nepo says we are continually asked to learn how to ask for what we need. We are continually asked to do that. Our teaching is about that. Do your affirmative prayer. Let's do this prayer in this direction of the longing of our desire. And then we do our prayer work and then something that is unlike what we've prayed for shows up. He said the other piece of this is we are asked to learn how to ask for what we need only to practice accepting what we're given as a result of that asking. Because by right of consciousness, we can only bring into our experience that which we are. 
Dr. Holmes said, the answer to your prayer is in the prayer. It's in our consciousness. So asking for what we need doesn't always get us what we need. But the reward for asking what we need is because we become intimate with our own nature. The things that are in contrast, so I wanna, I wanna have this experience and I've done the prayer work for that, but something totally different shows up and I can deny it and I can try and pray over it or I can look at it and with, a, with an open heart say, wow, how am I not matching that? And then I get the opportunity to do my own transformative work, to realize that rather than decide what's right and wrong, but to look at it and to say, what's true in this for me? Now that's the deeper work. And so, but I'm blessed, see, I'm on the path. And, and at times I do really well with it and, some, and most of the time I don't do really well with it, but I try. So what I know is when I find myself trying and not doing as well as I'd like to do, I forgive myself. I can do better with this because I just know after years and years and years that I've, I've fallen short, it does nobody, especially me, any good to sit and beat myself up for too long. That's, that used to be my spiritual practice. I think the reason that we have wars, I think the reason that we go to war with one another is we sense the perfection of life that lives within us. And it's so frustrating for people to feel like, I want to get there, but I'm not there. And, then we, and, and rather than grow and nurture, we, we, we try and destroy one another. It's fascinating to watch history. Well, if we can just lighten up and say, this is where I am. And I don't have to destroy anybody because I'm disappointed. All I get to do is look and see what's true in it for me and go about my work of, of, of dealing with that. And that's a whole different experience. And then I don't have to make somebody small so I can feel important. I don't have to, to conquer. Let's, let's, let's go on in Russia right now, all this stuff. You know, it's just sad. It's like, how much have we not learned enough with war? This whole idea. But let's see what, what emerges from that. What is true? The reward for asking what we need is we become intimate with our own nature. We start to understand where we're not matching. That's powerful. We learn who we are. We can, then we begin to stand in who we are. And the reward in practicing accepting everything we are given is that we become intimate with everything that is not us. So if I look at those places in me where I'm, I, I find jealousy or anger or resentment or all those qualities I don't want to live from, I get to decide me or not me. Me, I love this, I love that, but I get to choose, you get to choose. What is true? We become, and in that intimacy, we become intimate with the nature of life, the rhythm between my own nature and the divine nature. We brought this crystal bed back, and it was not my idea that the people that went to Abhijanya said, we gotta have this, we need more of this, and I would, I'd agree. It's a mystery, people ask me about it, it's a mystery. There's, a, there's an energetic to it of quiet, of nurturing, of balancing the body's energies. There's also, a spiritual, there's also a spiritual quality to it that's quite beautiful. When the crystal bed's going on and I walk through the sanctuary, I can just feel the radiance of, of a presence. And what that is, it's my, own infant, it's my own spirituality, it's my own divine nature commingling with that grander divine nature. And it's just sweet. And so it's a beautiful touchstone. Is it the only one? Is it the only one? No, it's just one. And that's the energy I think that we all long for to experience. Because when I step into that, then I find out what my thread is, what my connection is to it in a more clear way, a more beautiful way. That thread that I, you and I uniquely have our thread that connects us to that. And, and, and vice versa, it comes to us as well. And that allows us to, to live a, a different kind of life. 
There are many ways to grow into this. There's, and there's two primary ways, as Mark Nepo talks about. One is by shedding what is unnecessary, and the other is by being broken open. I would say most of the people in this book by Wayne Muller have been broken open, cracked open, torn open. Or we can simply go along, and, and because what happens is we need, to no, we need to put down the things that no longer work in order to stay close to the truth of our being, to that resonance. See, it changes, it changes, it changes. It's, we're not the same people. Infinite never changes, but we do. The, the, the person that showed up here 12 years ago had all kinds of ideas and longing and this and this, and we're going to do this and this. All that's changed and shifted because I've learned more quickly than not to, to step into that awareness, to go into my mindfulness practices, to ask for the guidance which comes through many times your voices, but through my own awareness, and to keep answering that call. But I have to be willing to realize that the person that I was 12 years ago is not the same person today. And you aren't either. So we're always changing, we're evolving, we're growing, we're deepening or we're not. So when we put down what what no longer works for us in order to stay close to the sacred, and that evolution continues. And the question I would ask is what is sacred to you? What's sacred to you? I watched that uh, great documentary the other day, 20 Feet from Stardom. Have anybody seen that? It's about the background singers. And they made a great point in that movie. It's a wonderful documentary about all these background singers that have sung on all these great albums. And, and most of them are in our, our minds. When we go into a, a, a great song that's a classic, we're not singing to the melody. We're singing with the background singers. But it's a fascinating story of all these singers that love to sing. What's important about singers I think if you're a singer, you want to be as successful as you possibly can. I think that, that uh, if Celine Dion called Robin up tomorrow and said, come on, let's sing together and do a duet, she'd probably say yes to that, and that would be a wonderful thing, and I'm sure that she would love that, and, and we would love seeing that. But as a singer, what singers want to do is sing. I want to sing. And so 20 Feet from Stardom is this beautiful story of how these people have hung in there, and, and they're on the edges of... Um, of these huge bands. There's a woman, um, Lisa Fisher, who's sung since 1989, has been singing with the Rolling Stones. And so we hear her on all the, all the, the albums, you hear her voice. And I didn't know who she was. I just thought she was a band member. Ah, she just shows up at the concerts. She's got this incredible voice, this incredible gift. It's beautiful to watch. But they, that's that. So she's, she's, <clears throat> she's following her aliveness. The point I'm making with is all of us need to follow our aliveness, what brings us to life. And it continues to grow and shift and change. Our identity evolves over time. And to be able to meet what comes to us, to do our prayer work, yes. And then to be able to say yes to what keeps coming to us so we can look at it and allow it to work with us, to be transformed. Be able to acknowledge who we are, what we are. Nepo says his challenge, he's in his 60s now. He said his challenge has been his whole life is that what he's learned is that we become so attached, we can become so attached to our identity, our relationships, our dreams, our ambitions. And all of them have brought us to this point. And they are dear to us. They're important, really important. But what they are, and I like the example he gives, is they are not the, they are not the end point Just like right and wrong is not the end point. What they are is they are the incubator. They are the cocoon 
of, of transformation that we are in. And eventually we outgrow that cocoon and the metamorphosis takes place and there's a new butterfly. There's a new incarnation. And so it's important to be aware of that, that you and I are in constant transformation. Robert in his beautiful song talked about what's happening on the planet. Many of us are just on antennas for good. Are you aware of that? The more that we embody goodness and our godness and our, and our beauty and our joy and our creativity and our celebration, we're antennas. We are, we are attracting that to ourselves like, like a magnet. It becomes irresistible because it becomes our nature. And then our whole life is transformed. But it's not stepping back into the cocoon because this is who I used to be. No, it's stepping forward. And it's saying those dreams, those intentions, those relationships were beautiful, beautiful things. And without them, I wouldn't be at this point in my life. Without the, I wouldn't be able to answer the current call that is going on in my experience. And so we, we come together on Sundays. We talk about these beautiful things. We have all these beautiful books to look at and examine. We're always a choice. Our life can be uh, whatever we want to make it. I made a commitment to myself uh, about six weeks ago that I just physically, I either got to get moving more or I'm going to, I just give up. You know, just get one of those carts and drive around. And so what I've discovered is, because what I realized is I have to move more and I have to move in a way that's very uncomfortable. But what I realize is I can do that. I can choose to be uncomfortable in moving towards something and be sore physically. Because as I've been doing this, I feel like I'm 80 years old and every joint aches all the time. So I don't know if you can hear me creak when I come in, but I'm making a lot of noise in here. But the other piece of it was, I was just in, in as much pain when I wasn't doing anything. And so I wish it were different. I was told the other day to start taking more leave, which I'll start doing one of these days. But, but the point is, is that I'd rather stand in the, in the awe and the wonder of, of discovery of what this will take me to because I choose it and I choose to move in a different way rather than just sit and allow myself to suffer. And I think it's such a, an, an interesting metaphor because I'm not the same person I was when I was 25 years old. It takes more commitment and more dedication. But I find, it, I find it encouraging to notice the little shifts, the little changes. So I think, you know, I don't have cancer. I don't have a terminal thing. But what I can do is I can, I can decide, you know what, I'm gonna, move to, I'm gonna move into this. I'm gonna move into more activity. And then I'm gonna get really grounded in more activity around my, the, the physical thing. And then I can move to another modality along with that that will help support that. But rather than try and change my whole life, every aspect of it all at once, let me master this piece. And I share that with you because I think many times in spiritual practice we think we gotta do it all at once. I need to meditate, I need to pray, I need to have a practitioner, I need to take a class, on and on, I need to go walk the labyrinth, I need to, I need to do a crystal bed, on and on and on. It's like, oh, stop it. Just pick a practice. Pick something. Mark Nepo, I'll leave you with this, and we'll get Robert back up, sing another beautiful song. Mark Nepo wrote this, <laughs> I didn't, I don't know what it's called, but it's, it's, in his, it's on his website. He said, if you try to comprehend air before breathing it, you'll die. If you try to understand love before being held, you'll never feel compassion. See, we have to be open to it, to understand the experience. 
If you insist on bringing God to others before opening your very small window of life, you will never have honest friends. If you try to teach before you learn or leave before you stay, you will lose your ability to try. No matter what anyone promises, to never feel compassion, to never have honest friends, to lose your ability to try, these are desperate ways to die. A dog loves the world through its nose, a fish through its gills, a bat through its deep sense of blindness, an eagle through its glide, and a human life through its spirit. There's a lot of wonderful things happening within our community. This, this small group that we're so committed to is an opportunity to come together and to have those honest conversations and to do our work together in whatever capacity. What we want to do, what our, our souls need to do to be healthy is to connect, to listen deeply, to share deeply in, in the integrity of that. And so what's been, we've been called to, I mean, the timing has been perfect on the way this is blossoming and, and being transformed. There are new groups available if you're interested back there. But it's that deep and wonderful connection that we find with one another. There's, the, there's such beauty and possibility in that. And to create that and nurture that so that eventually we're not a community that has small groups. We are a community that is small groups. That we teach and live from love. That we lead with love. There's a vibrancy, and, and for us to connect with that and continue to connect with that, that, that thread of connection between us and the divine, and then we bring that to all of our relationships, and it's just powerful, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful. And so I know that that is, in, and so we have shifted and changed over the last 12 years. Wonderful things are happening. Ideas are popping. Come to the AGM. There's wonderful reports and information we're going to share. There's wonderful things, and people showing up to fill those, those places. And it's exciting. And to make a difference in the world. This is part of our legacy. To stand, despite what's going on in the world, to be able to stand together and say, I get it. Yeah, there's trouble, there's evil, there's pain. The world can be unjust. It's not fair. It's difficult at times. But to be able to, to sit with one another and look at the wonder of it and stay open. Not close ourselves down, but open ourselves up in an even bigger way. Because at the end of the day, there's nothing to fear. We just make it up. Have you noticed that? And so let's just put a smile on our face and make this day, this moment, as beautiful as we possibly can. And then you are blessed, and we are blessed. Thank you.